Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have author Amy Beatty with her new book, Dragon Ascending, which is the first book in Vanir, is that right? Vanir, yeah. Vanir Dragon Series. Pronounce things differently. Yeah, yeah, that's the one thing about fantasy, is... You see it, how it's spelled, and most often that's not how it's pronounced. But that's okay. That's what's so cool about it. It's true. So, Dragon Ascending, an amazing cover, this massive dragon, and I love the fact that it's not a cutesy dragon. I, I, I'm not a fan of the cutesy dragon. This dragon looks very menacing uh, with this poor... Yeah, they did a great job with the... I'm very happy with how that came out. Yeah. So... How about I let you give us a little bit of information without giving away too much of what Dragon Ascending is? Okay, well, um, it's kind of like one of those fairy tales where the hero has to go out and kill the dragon and rescue the missing king so that he can win the hand of the beautiful princess, except... In this book, the hero is a dragon, and the king doesn't really want to be rescued, and um, the dungeon keeper has a secret that's going to change everything. Okay, so you've taken some of those classic tropes and twisted them around. I have. So I have. It's, it's fun to play with tropes. Yeah, I, I like the fact that the hero is a dragon. <laughs> You're just like, yes. I'm throwing that out there. Uh-huh. And the king that we're supposed to save doesn't really want to be saved, so he's not sure he wants. To go. What was that? He's not sure he wants to go home. Yeah, I mean, I I like that because you're putting some conflict in there right away. Because I mean, we've all played those classic D and D games or read those books where you know the hero goes out, saves the maiden, or saves whoever he's supposed to, comes home, gets the reward. I mean. And the, and then lives happily ever after, which, well, looking at real life doesn't happen. Yeah, that's uh, kind of how real life plays out. So yeah. you have to kind of wonder, you know, if you take these tropes that we all know how the story goes, and then we kind of play it a little more like real life, where stuff doesn't kind of really work out the way that the script is supposed to go. You know, where does it go from there? So I had really a lot of fun with that. Yeah. So... Where did the this idea originate from? I mean, everyone has that moment where this idea just kind of pops into being, and then it's like, oh, i got to write that. Sometimes it's way in the past. Sometimes it was just seeing something. What produced this story? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I could even nail it down to one thing. Okay. Um, when I first started writing, I wasn't sure if I wanted to write science fiction or fantasy, so I decided to write one of each and see which one I liked best, and it turns out I like both of them, so I'm actually working on two series, one in kind of each vein there. But in fantasy, um, I guess my love of fantasy goes back really as far as I can remember. My mom used to read fairy tales. We had some wonderful fairy tale books in our house when, when I was growing up, and my mom was very... Um, enthusiastic about books and learning and stories and I really learned I think to love stories from her but especially uh, fairy tales and then when I was in third grade 
grade, we had I had a teacher, Mr. York, who um, read The Hobbit to all of us as a class, and I loved The Hobbit. In fact, I've got my my mother sent me some boxes that was mine that she had in her basement a while back, and I found this notebook in there from third grade where we had we were supposed to write a story of The Hobbit as a poem, and my on for pages and pages of pages retelling the story of the hobbit in third grade so i've really loved fantasy since then and um this was back in the 70s that's how old i am to you know date myself but um yeah and then we did the lord of the rings in fourth grade and the school library had the chronicles of perdane and um and McCaffrey's dragons and you know, it just kind of grew from there you know kind of with the the expansion of the fantasy genre as a whole um and I've loved all the different directions that fantasy has been taking lately um but for me I guess I I'm kind of a classicist at heart or something because I really love those old fairy tale kinds of stories and so when I was thinking about what kind of fantasy do I want to write for this book that I'm trying out to see if I want to write fantasy um you know I figured maybe I won't be able to pull it off um maybe no one will but me will ever see it so really I'm writing this book for myself you know so what do I want to write about and so for me it came down to how can I play with those fairy tales that I love and make it you know a grown-up story for grown-up people but play with those fairy tale tropes that kind of live in the background of all of our um you know folklore and and our hearts and uh I also have a love of mythology um and history I kind of I dabble I'm not an expert I don't have education really formally in that area but I have a lot of interest in learning different mythologies and belief systems and uh, I was especially interested in the the Norse and Scandinavian um, mythologies that Tolkien kind of pulled his northern European Germanic uh, folk tales folklore that uh, Tolkien pulled his different races from for his world and so I kind of decided I want to go back and play with those um those stories before they got filtered through Tolkien I love all the Tolkien spin-offs too don't get me wrong but um I kind of wanted to go back before Tolkien and play with play with the elves and the dwarves and the um, dragons and just that whole that whole mythology so it all just kind of grew together from from all of that. No, I, I like that. Um, I love history, um, especially ancient history. Uh, there, there seems to come a point, at least for me, like when we hit like the Revolutionary War, where I just lose interest in history. But everything before that is just fascinating to me. You know, the, the religions that were around there, the uh, the art of warfare back then was a lot more. Um, I mean, it's definitely bloody. But it was a lot more personable, in my opinion. It was, it was more personal, more to your face, where you have to actually face up to what it is that you're doing. I mean, yeah, now we use drones and we kill people from half a world away. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly it. You know, there are people that just, drone flies in, they see it on a camera, they push a button, the end. Where back then, if they wanted to take out a leader, they had to infiltrate the city and sneak in. And it was definitely in your face type situation um i always found that fascinating let alone the i mean there were so many different cultures 
that varied, even within a small region of space, um, yeah. which I just found fascinating. So, and then when you kind of pluck some of those out, and then put them together, uh, it's 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 amazing. Uh, you know, just like Genghis Khan, for instance, there are more people in the planet that ha can trace their DNA back to him than anyone else on the entire planet, because he was just so, um, yeah. Prolific? <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it. I, I don't know if I want to use the word yeah. prolific, but yeah, I mean, just be... Word. Yeah, I mean, he he shared his DNA quite a bit. Yes. Uh, generous, how's that? Yeah, generous. Um, and I I found I I don't know why, but that was just really interesting. I mean, he was one of the first people to really use psychological and chemical warfare in a way by launching dead bodies into these cities that he besieged. And it's really I, gruesome. I mean, yeah, no one had seen that before. It, you just have to wonder where did this idea come from, and so I mean, yeah. well, I think the people of the past definitely had a different relationship with death than we do now. I mean, if you think about it, um, the childhood mortality rate meant most people who had children had lost more than one. Um, the most women, a lot of women, uh, died during childbirth. It was just kind of something that you live with, I think. Um, one of the characters in my in my book, in Dragon Ascending, has kind of an interesting relationship with death, too. Mudge, the dungeon keeper, was actually raised in the dungeon from a small child. And so Mudge uh, kind of has a little more casual about death, I think, than most people in our culture would be. But one of Mudge's hobbies is um, dissecting uh, animals and people who have died recently and much will pay for the guards to bring down um, executed convicts or um, animals or whatever that they that they find so so they can be dissected because much just has a really scientific mind and an interest in such things and isn't bothered by death had a lot of fun with much yeah I you know that's really cool that you kind of bring in you know, even though you have like the fantasy element, you have magic and that, you still have that scientific element. And I think um, that lends a lot of things, too. Uh, I know a lot of people out there really like like Brandon Sanderson's books and because of his magic systems. And he lends kind of a scientific element to the, those things, uh, especially like in Mistborn. Uh, there's a lot of physics applied in there. So I think when we have yeah. the scientific and the mystical, it really kind of blends well, at least in my mind. Um, yeah, I think that you can play those two off each other in a lot of interesting ways. I think that um, making the magic more scientific, like Brendan Sanders does, is definitely an interesting way to play with it. And I think... Uh, when he started writing those books, I think fantasy kind of needed a kick in the pants like that to make people kind of break out of the, the box and think about, you know, fantasy differently, um, think about magic differently. Um, but I think you can also contrast the science and the magic because, um, you know, in a lot of, well, in, in our, our modern world, magical thinking is kind of frowned upon and science is put up on a little bit more of a pedestal. And so we see a little more of a you know a contrast between the two rather than a blending but um it, it's interesting that you can play it both ways with that and uh and i 
I love to see how different authors um, decide to handle that. I think my, my magic is a lot less scientifically uh, um, explained than Sam Anderson's. Okay. Um, it's got a structure to it, but um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a different take. Okay. So it's a different take than the traditional magic we see of fireballs and lightning, like Gandalf. It is a little more. Kind of each each of the races kind of has their own inborn magic, but it's different. Um, so dragons can can ascend, is what I'm calling it. They shape shift from from human form to dragon form. So when they're in dragon form, they've ascended, and um, that's just kind of an ability that a magical ability that they have because they're dragons, and then. Um, the elves, the elfkin. I decided to call them elfkin because they're also not quite stereotypical um, Tolkien type elves. They they have a metamorphic lifestyle, a life uh, cycle, where uh, instead of being born like humans, they they lay eggs and they go through a kind of insect like um, life stage where they're nymphs. And they, they're kind of scary in nymph form, but people don't see them all that often. And then they have a, a they kind of pupate and have a metamorphic stage and um, their adult form looks a lot more like humans. So they're, they're not like traditional fantasy elves exactly, but they are magical creatures. And, and in some ways they are kind of like those elves. They like the traditional fantasy elves. They, live in the forest and um they're a little uh, standoffish from humans and like to think of themselves as better than everybody else um, okay kind of elitist but uh they're, they're so i call them alfkin they're a little and they um can make uh, wisp lights they can transform things and they they have a glamour that's kind of an illusion magic and so it it's, it's magic that's born into them, though. It's not um, something that is externally manipulated. And so, like, elves can't turn into dragons, and dragons can't do this glamour magic that elves can do. Um, but each each race has its own forms of magic. So the science that would be surrounding magic in that kind of a world, I think, would be the science of explaining the magic. Like, we use science to explain nature, Um you know, we don't invent nature through science, generally speaking, although we can manipulate it more now than ever before in history. Yeah. But we don't really invent it. We just change the building blocks that already exist. And uh, it, the science that would surround magic in my kind of a world, in, well, in this kind of a world, would uh, would be more exploratory and explanatory like that. No, I, I like that. So... We have the main character, who is, you know, and we have the, uh, you know, the dungeon master It's kind of got a secret, and we've got the king that's not really sure if he wants to go home. Who is the protagonist? I mean, who is the big cheese villain in, in this book, and, and why? Um, well, so back, the, the king that's missing is the king of the dragons, and so Edric main character and he's off to find uh, the king of the dragons and return him uh, home and in in the king's absence there's a black dragon called Nidhogg 
hub who is um, threatening to usurp the throne. He's going to marry the queen and take over the throne, and Edric needs to get the king back before that happens. So, he's the main villain. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I. it's simple, it's easy, and uh, again, another trope. Which... It's fair to it's a fairy tale trope kind of villain, but there are lots of other smaller distant turns that happen in the middle on the way back. So, yeah, it's kind of this this fairy tale picture that you would expect, but then a lot of the the small things in between. Yeah. No, no, I like that. You got you've got the large arc arc story arc, and then you've got the smaller ones that kind of build up to, throughout that that larger one. Um, you know, and that's one thing that's really exciting and fun about uh, a lot of books, especially the ones I read, is I like where it, the momentum is moving forward, that it's not an easy quest. It's not like they jumped on a horse and, um, you know, or on an eagle and just flew to, you know, to, to Mount Doom. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of people are like, well, why'd they just jump off the eagles? But then you wouldn't be interested. It wouldn't be that thrilling or exciting of a story if it was just easy there has to be a challenge for us to well one to believe it and then two to really enjoy it um and i think that's all because of our humanity and we like things difficult as much as we say to the contrary <laughs> i think things to have difficult you know we like to look back and say look what we overcame you yeah. know we like we like the champions who fight through the the difficult and come out on top. We don't like the people who just say, oh yeah, I went to the store and I bought groceries and I came home. You know, that's not a story that anybody cares to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it just went smoothly, you know. But if you say, I went to the store and to buy groceries and I got a flat tire on my car and then this guy tried to mug me and then my credit card got refused. And I mean, make it an adventure. Anything can be an adventure, but adventures, well, one of the, the characters in my book points out that adventures are are more fun to hear about than they are to live through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of, some of those hard times in our lives, when we're going through them, you know, you just think you're going to die. But once, once you're through it and you look back, like those are the best stories that you tell about your life. You're like, look what happened. And I lived through it. And everybody goes, wow. You know? Yeah. Those are the stories that we like to hear. No, no, I agree. Um, you know, there are, there have been multiple times where, you know, I've been around my kids and say one of their friends does something really stupid and there's like, well, how'd you break your arm? You know, like my son, he's like, I tripped over a, a, a pile of dirt and they're like, right. they're like, that's dumb. It, it, you didn't get in a fight. It was some big bully that had a baseball bat and he went to swing it and you stuck your arm up to block. Like no, I tripped yeah, over. I tripped over a pile of dirt. Yeah, <laughs> everyone wants kind of that epic story where it's it's really difficult and you have a struggle because the plain and mundane is just not that exciting. Yeah, well, one of the one of the advantages I found to working with those common tropes that we we already know how the story is supposed to go is that you don't have to spend time explaining what the goal is or explaining. Uh, how the story's in, you know, what the character intends, how the character intends the story to work out. Yeah. Um, you just say, oh, it's uh, the guy is usurping the throne and he has to get the king back, and everybody knows what to expect. And I don't have to waste time 
telling that part of the story. I can just tell, you know, all of the, all of those challenges that came up along the way. Um, so, so I'm finding, I find that I, I really liked working with those tropes for that reason, because it's, it's a time saver. No, it is. And, and that's kind of what the tropes are there for is to help yeah. save us time because people have put in that work. It's like, you know, you don't have to go through the exhausting detail of describing a dragon anymore. You you just say the word dragon and everyone already has that impression or what it should look like in their mind. Um, unless, yes. And then if your dragons are a little bit different, then you spend that time. But most often than not, we just say the word dragon. It's fire breathing. It's massive. It's got claws and fangs and wings and we're done. Yes. Um, or, you know, but even though... You know, you throw in the word, say, chimera, a chimera in there, not a lot of people know what those look like, so you have to kind of give those detail. You have to spend a little more time on it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the difficulties I found with my, well, challenges that I found with uh, writing the science fiction was I have aliens, and, um, you know, you, you say alien, and there's not a common trope that people go to and say, Oh, I know what that means. You know, it might be little gray people. It might be giant, you know, insectile, uh, something that wants to eat your head. You know, it could be, you know, any of a million different things. Cause we don't have a common, um, cultural image of what alien means. But with dragons, you do, you can say the guy's a dragon, he shapeshifts into dragon form and people have instantly a picture of that. And, you know, different people's dragons might look a little different in, in their head, but like you say, they all have wings. They all have, they breathe fire. They have claws. I mean, there are some exceptions or dragons in Chinese culture that, yeah. you know, don't even have eggs but, or wings, but they fly. And, you know, so, so there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, if you're talking fantasy and you dragon, um, it's, you don't have to explain it much more than that. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, the, you just throw out the hero's journey and people are like, okay, I know what, I know what's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that is the, the, the wonderful thing about tropes. Um, they are that time saver, but at the same time, you know, as you're building your story, you know, especially in fantasy and even in science fiction, you can spend years building your world and everything just so your story, you can start writing your story and it's just right. And that's, that's painstaking. I, I, I know I've done it and it's so much easier just to use the trope. Because then you can jump in and finally get the writing done. Uh, yes. You know, like, you have your elves, but they're a little different. But people still can accept that. Uh, and you do have to be careful with using tropes. Because if you if you use too many tropes and the tropes all play out the way that we all expect them to, then it's boring. Yeah. You know, you go, I've read this book six billion times. I don't want to read another version of this book. But a lot of times when you... You don't want to read another version. You're perfectly willing to, to read another take on that story. You know, how many Cinderella stories are there in in how many cultures all around the world? Yeah. Because we all like that rags to riches story, but it's not about does she make the rags to riches journey because we know it's a Cinderella story, so of course she does. It The, the question then becomes how does she get from rags to riches? How does this one get from rags to riches? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how is the stepmother different in this story than she was in the other story? And yeah. how does that affect 
the how the story plays out. So you, you do have to be careful using tropes as yes. heavily as maybe I have. But um, but then part of the fun is, is twisting the tropes and turning them on their head a little bit and having things maybe not end the way you expected them to end, um, that kind of thing. Well, and that's one of the best parts of storytelling, in my opinion, is when you set the story up, you have used those tropes like you've said, the reader already in their mind knows how this story is going to end, and then you yank the rug out from underneath them, and it's a completely different ending. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, The Prestige, did exactly that at the very yeah, like, end. And I, I was just shocked because I was like, okay, I know exactly how this is going to end. And so I just kind of sat back like, okay, I'll just watch the rest because I know what's going to happen. And then when that didn't happen, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Um you know, and I've talked yeah. to several other people, and that's how they feel, too. If a book can do that, that book immediately catapults up to their favorite. It's true. And one of the things that I have really enjoyed hearing back from my readers is there is a plot twist in, I think it's chapter 11 in uh, Dragon Ascending. Um, but, you know, don't go peek. But um, so very few people have seen it coming. Some have seen it coming and I try to write it so that it has little uh, hints and kind of insider jokes so that if you've caught on to the twist that's coming um, or if you think that you have uh, it's fun still you know sometimes if you figure out the twist in advance then it's kind of boring when you get there and I tried to write it so that that people would say aha yes I was right instead of uh-huh I knew that was happening you know tried to put some some things in the the early parts of the story that would be fun even if people had had figured it out and that would make it fun for people who went back and read it again um after they got to that part or after they finished the book and um, I have loved hearing reactions from readers um, when they get to that part, whether they saw it coming or not. Um, just just the, the level of, I love this book for this reason, because of this twist. Um, it's just been really gratifying. It makes me feel like I, I managed to pull off what I was trying to do, at least for more readers than not. Yeah. No, it's the greatest feeling in the world when... I mean, you've spent all this time writing this book. The book is done. It's put out to the world. You have no clue people are going to like it. So you're kind of like hunkering down like in a bunker like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the mud to start flinging at me. But then someone says they love it and you're like, what? And it's kind of like you poke yeah. your head out and you're like, really? And then someone else says they like it and you kind of stand up a little bit taller and taller and it's almost like you know this kind of plant growing up into the sun. It, it, and it's one of the greatest feelings yeah. ever. Like, you can't make everybody happy. You just can't. There are going to be people yeah. you know, who, who read it and don't like it, and that's okay. Um, I get it. I don't agree with book either. Um, but, but just some of the, the strength, some of the delight of the reaction. I got a message from a woman this morning that said she got the book from the library yesterday and she had to stay up till five o'clock this morning to finish it. And she couldn't put it down. And I was like, wow, you know, that's what 
here as an author. Well, not that you're like ruining people's sleep patterns or anything. <laughs> no, it's co- that, no, no, it's cool. It's, it's so awesome. And then yesterday, I was talking to someone. One of the neighbors who went out and bought it because, you know, he's, he's a friend and a neighbor. But And he he said, I've only read the first chapter, but oh my gosh, the first chapter, you put them in the dungeon and they're all going to die. And usually books don't get to that point until, you know, like three quarters of the way through. Where do you go from there? You know, and, and he was so excited to, to get to figure out where do you go from we're all in a dungeon and we're going to die in the first chapter. So, you know, you get these reactions from readers and you're just like... Even, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but clearly I pulled something off for that person. You know, that person's going to come along for the ride and we can have fun together. Yeah, you definitely set the hook on that one. Um, so now that the book is out, you're having success with it. People are actually excited about it. Where do you go from here? Because it sounds like you're already working on another project. Um yeah, I've actually got a couple of projects in the works, and it's a little bit hard to balance it all around real life, which is one of the, the things that I'm kind of in the process of learning is, is how to juggle it all and, and balance. The book's only been out for a little less than a month. It came out October 2nd, um, and so I don't actually get to see any sales numbers until like January just because of how the, yeah. the publishing industry works, but just from the feedback I've gotten, it's 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 all been pretty positive, and um, I'm I'm very happy with how things are going. I, you know, hopefully it'll pick up even more and and just grow. But I am working on book two for that series. It's been a little bit slower than I had hoped. Um, it turns out book two is a little bit harder. Yes, it is. <laughs> to wrap I've set I've set expectations in book one that people want to see carried out in book two and so you know taking those threads and twisting them into a new story it has been has been interesting but i'm i'm i feel like i'm solidly on the road for that one now and and hopefully it won't take too much longer to finish no i Um, i've I've been on that same road with you second book was a lot more difficult because you've had you've kind of left these threads open that you need to connect back onto with this book but at the same time you're wanting to develop the story more and it, it was a lot more difficult for me writing the second book than the first yeah I'm finding that too I I have to say I was kind of expecting to get a little more practice in before <laughs> things took off I'm super excited that you know it's it's all happening as fast as it is and I know that there are people out there going oh wow you know pro- cry, cry what a problem to cry about but <laughs> but I was I was kind of expecting to have, you know, three or four books to practice on before um, it all got out in the public where people could read it. But um, so so I still feel a lot in a lot of ways like a beginner um, still figuring things out like book, book two. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you tackle a book two? But um, yeah, so so that's the main thing I'm working on writing right now. And then I have another book, the, the science fiction one, um, is coming out probably in a couple of weeks. It's, it's not on a, as tight of a schedule, a production schedule as the other ones for, through a different publisher. Um, but, but book one of the, of the Viper series will be coming out too, um, fairly soon. So, um, that's exciting. Yeah. So, how do you, 
I'm going to ask the question, how do you balance between going back and forth between a fantasy and a sci-fi novel? Because they're vastly different beasts. Uh, well, they are. They are. And part of it is, um, you know, when a writer part of my brain starts getting burned out on one, I can switch over to the other one. And it's like fresh territory to play in. Um, you know, I haven't been staring at that one for a couple of months and, and I can, you know, see, I can step back and see better where I need to pull things a little tighter or, you know, go back to my outline and, and do a little revising before I go ahead or something like that. But it comes with the burnout for me um, to kind of switch back and forth. Okay. But, but yeah, it, it's a balancey thing that I'm still learning and... Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, you will find the balance, uh, and it won't be a problem anymore. <laughs> well, there, are, there are sort of similar similarities, because I'm the one writing both of them, you know, and, and writers have themes that, that come up in all of their stories, or there are several of their stories, depending on what, you know, was going on in their life at the time when they were writing or whatever, mm-hmm. but, um, so, both, both the, the fantasy one and the science fiction one um, have maybe a little more focus on the relationships between the characters than is typical in, in the genres. Um, so I would say that's a commonality between the two. Um, I've found that there's kind of this idea that that science fiction and fantasy are male genres. And yeah, there are some women out there who like them. And, you know, there are a lot of women out there who like them. I think that uh, there's a perception problem a little bit there. Yeah. But um, I, I think that more women would like it if, um, it, with a little, I don't know, tweak in the female reader direction. I hate to generalize like that and stereotype because, you know, everybody's different. There are men who love reading romance novels and there are women who really get into the, I don't know, military fiction and stuff. Uh, these things are stereotyped per gender, but, but and, and I don't like to generalize, but there is some truth to the generalization. You know, I do think that women like to read stories that have more relationship drama in them and men like to read stories, you know, Speaking in those vast generalizations, like like to read more action, um, and so I I feel like when I read fantasy or law fantasy, it focuses really heavily on the action and not so much on the romance or the relationships between parent and child or the friendships and that kind of thing. And so I wanted to play a little play that up a little bit more to kind of differentiate my style I guess a little from just the generic in the genre and to try and pull some more of women and friends in that don't think that they like those genres because they're male genres um, and I've, I've had some good response back from female friends that too so. nice no, no I yeah. agree with that so we're running out of time where can our, uh, the listeners find you so they can keep uh, abreast of what's when's your next book coming out or book signings or other interviews? Yeah, uh, probably the best place would be my website, which is www.amybatty.com. Um, and it's B-E-A-T-T-Y. So um, some people have a hard time in spelling that. Um, but 
Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and um, social media places, but probably the, the best central hub would be my website, and then that'll point you to the other places. I have an email sign-up on there. It's actually kind of a little group that we're calling the Guild, so you can sign up for the Guild and you'll get periodic newsletter, well, emails. I don't really have a newsletter that goes out regularly. I send updates probably four times a year, and then if there's um, news, um, I'll send it out through the email list and, like, cover reveals that then the, new, the email list gets cover reveals first and things like that when I can swing it. So, um, yeah, sign up. I will keep in touch. Okay. So for those of you that are listening and have been listening, uh, check out Dragon Ascending. Uh, it's published by Immortal Works. And pick up your copy today if you already haven't. Uh, also, if you do have read it or... Have, find out that you do enjoy this fantasy uh, you can always check out her upcoming sci-fi novel which will be coming out soon so again thank you for coming on the show and taking time to talk about the book and go ahead sorry thanks for having me it's been fun yeah no problem so everyone run out grab a copy because that's the best way to support an author as well as giving honest uh, reviews and with that said we'll catch you next time